The gospel passage today is coming from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, the first verse, then verse 7 through 14. So I invite you to stand as you're able in body and spirit and honor the reading of the gospel passage. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose their places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, and the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in many of our lives, we have come across this saying. We may have experienced this saying or witnessed this saying, and I'll, I'll see if you can finish it for me. I'll start it out. Sometimes in the world, it's not what you know, but who you know. That's right. It's not what you know, but who you know. You know, and a lot of times that's really true in the working world. I looked up some research on people getting jobs, and there was an interesting survey done by the, it's a social, social platform called LinkedIn, but it's for professionals, and they did a study, and they found out that 70% of people were hired at a company where they already had a connection to someone in that place. So 70%, okay? And so that's kind of a, you know, for some folks looking to move up in the world or whatever, or get that job, it really behooves them to know someone that works there, okay? Another study said that a candidate that was referred for a job had a 20, per, 20 times higher uh, percentage of getting hired there. So 20 times they were more likely to get that chance of that job there based off of being a referred candidate, okay? So it reinforces this saying and mindset of it's not what you know, but who you know as well. And I guess, you know, that's happened to me once in my life before. Many of you know I went into education as my first career choice, and so when I was finishing my student teaching, my college advisor went to all of us that were about to graduate and go out to the workforce and said, hey, you need to you know, update your resume, get your references going, and you need to physically go to the schools that you want to teach at. Don't worry about, yes, go online and fill out the applications and all that, but go to those places, make that personal connection, meet face-to-face -face with that principal and say, hey, here's my resume, here's my application, all that. I want a job at your school teaching X, Y, Z. They may not have an opening at that time, but go do that. And so I visited 20 schools in the Tri-County area trying to get a job where I didn't have to move places. 
And did I get a job at any of those places? No, I didn't. I didn't know anybody at those places, really. But I will tell you, I did get a job teaching, though, and it was because the school that I student taught at when I was finishing up in May, they didn't have an open position. They were all filled. You know, teachers loved it there. They didn't want to leave. But at some point in July, the school board told this particular school, hey, we're giving you enough money to add on a position for an entry-level teacher. Go find one. The principal called me up and said, hey, you did such a great job student teaching here. I've already submitted your name to the school board. I hope you can take this job. And I said, absolutely. It's not always what you know, but who you know. It was because of my connection, and they got to see me working there as a student teacher. Because of that connection... They didn't go to that pool of people that have applied. They went ahead and called me because they knew me. And so that's how I got my first teaching job. So sometimes it's not always a bad thing, but it is a fact of life. So getting to this passage, there's a little bit of this, it doesn't matter what you know, but it's who you know. And it's also a little bit of sometimes it is worth your while, too, to put in and go that extra mile. Let's look at this passage. It starts out on the first verse. It says, On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. A few things to note here. Jesus took company with all kinds of people. He took company with all kinds of people. He took company with the tax collectors and the sinners, the poor and the needy, the crippled and the lame. He even took company with the leaders of the Pharisees, the one he often got into arguments about the ones that he got really angry at. And so in this passage in Luke starts out that he was at a leader of the Pharisees' home eating on the Sabbath, which was a big deal in the Jewish culture. Eating a meal was a big deal together, but on the Sabbath was a really big deal. And I liked how they pointed out this little reminder that they were watching him closely, almost kind of like how a dog is at the dinner table waiting closely and watching closely for you to drop that food and they're going to snatch it off the floor, which I never mind. It means I don't have to pick it up. Okay, I like that, especially with little kids around the house. They're like my little vacuum cleaner. Just go pick up after them. But they were watching Jesus closely. They always were. And we're not any different. I think that's a good reminder for us as Christians that the world watches us closely probably for the same reason why they watched Jesus closely, for a couple reasons, actually. One is to maybe see one of these miracles, to see God acting out, and so they watch us to see something big. But another reason is for they watch Jesus because they're waiting to catch him in a trap. They're waiting for him to mess up. So we should never forget that the world is always watching us to see us mess up and to point the figure and say, hey, you're not perfect either. But that's a good reminder We're not perfect either, but that shouldn't rule our life because Jesus rules our life and he died for our sins and we're made perfect through him. And that's where the world gets it wrong and we get it right. But they were watching him closely at this moment. And he gives this parable because he notices at this table people were kind of jockeying themselves to sit closer to the host, to the person of honor. And he gives them this parable. He says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you start to take the lowest place. You see, 
we may not have exactly wedding banquets where you're jockeying for power. While there are some weddings with reserved seats and tables of honor, we still do those today in some weddings. And I would see this take place more in our day when I was a school teacher in the cafeteria. If you ever wanted to see how students really were and their natural element and who their buddies really were and how they really acted when no one's really looking, it's to sit back and watch them at lunch. You'll see who they sit by and all the things that they do and who their best friends are. But you also kind of see that this group over here, these are the cool kids. There's a cool kids table. There, there's your jocks and athletes right over there. There's your nerdy kids. There they're sitting over there. And there's kind of everybody else, you know, your average Joes, you know. You get to see all that. You get to see them in their natural environment and see how they interact. And, and so they're kind of jockeying. Usually you also will see some kind of hot tables every now and then, like they're moving up in the social order of the school, you know. They made the football teams. Now they get to sit with the jocks. Or all of a sudden they get a car and they can drive, so they're cool kids. They get to sit at the cool kids' table. You know, you get to see all that take place. As adults... It's not much different, really. You know, if you ever go out with friends, out for dinner, and a bunch of couples or people, you know, it's sometimes kind of awkward to figure out who's going to sit down at the table at a restaurant. Where are we going to sit? Who's going to sit by who, you know? Um, A lot of times when I go with a certain type of couple friend, I'm not allowed to sit next to the guy because he and I get in trouble a lot. So we get separated, okay? But there's sometimes you get the talkers at one end of the table and you get the other group at the end of the table. So you're still kind of moving around. And even at a workplace where you have like a place where coworkers eat, you can still kind of see that take place. You know, those moving around, trying to sit by someone that's, you know, uh, distinguished or whatever, whether they may not say it or not. But Jesus here says, don't go ahead and sit at the head of the table. Go and sit at the lowest point. And that's not because you think lowly of yourself. But it's this whole thing of humility, being humble as a Christian. And that being humble means that sometimes you don't get your reward in this world. It may be in the other world, but God sees what you're doing. And being humble is putting other people first. You can still respect yourself and be humble by putting other people first. And so in this parable here, as he's sitting with the leader of the Pharisees, he's saying, hey... Why don't you go that extra mile and be a little humble and sit at the low end of the table and put other people first? Put other people first. You know, in life, and going back to it's not what you know, it's who you know, sometimes in life we even try to get ahead of the game by throwing someone under the bus, right? Or we take a shortcut and we try to get to whatever we want to do by taking a shortcut even though it may not be right. There's a quote by uh, George MacDonald, who's a 20th century Scottish minister. Many of us probably never heard of him, but he's an interesting guy. He has a quote that I think is really important. He says, And whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. And so sometimes in life when you're trying to get to the top, if you do it without humility then you're also kind of maybe doing it without God in mind, too. And that's hard for our culture, for our American culture, what puts you first, and you got to get to the top no matter what happens. You've got to be this type of successful person, and it doesn't matter how you get there. 
And that's what we're fed all the time. And as Christians, it's hard to drown that out and say, and listen to God say, you know what? Take the low place at the table. God will notice that you put others first, that you're going that extra mile in his eyes. And humility is interesting because I think there is nothing much more on this planet that can make you any more humble than being a caregiver. A caregiver. A caregiver of an elderly parent who needs your help, making sure they remember where things are and that they're going to the right doctor's appointments. Or an adult that can't take care of themselves and you're a caregiver for. Those are stressful things and you're having to be humble and a lot of times put the other person first instead of you. And it's exhausting. And you think nobody notices and nobody cares and why am I doing this? But God notices. God notices. And another time in your life where, you, where it's nothing more humble but to be a parent as well. You know, when you're now no longer can think about yourself or your spouse or whoever, now you got to think about this little child that you've been entrusted to care for that can't do anything for itself but just cry. Can't do anything else. And so a lot of times when couples have their first child, they, they kind of keep track whether it's a mental list or an actual list. And I've seen it done many different ways amongst my friends when they had little kids. Oh, Little Johnny's crying, and it's 3 a.m. I did the midnight, you know, cry session. This is your cry session. Go, go take care of little Johnny. And they'd keep up with it. They'd do a little list. Or in their head, and they'll do a little list. Like, oh, I changed that last diaper, and whoa, it's your turn, okay? And so they would keep up with it, but, you know, it's very humbling. You're no longer on your schedule. You know, I had a friend one time say, I'm just ready for this baby to be born so we finally can get some sleep. And I was like, ha, just see me in six weeks and let's revisit this conversation. But then as a parent of multiple children, I realized how easy it was when you had just one kid and two parents. And then when you had two kids and two parents, it was more like man-on-man defense. You know, you still could kind of keep track of who's doing what, or sometimes like, I'll take care of this kid and you do this kid and whatever. You still could kind of manage a little bit. Still very humbling. But with me, we had three children, and it's just, it's all whatever. You know, at some point, it's like you're negotiating with terrorists, and he's like, just give them what you want. You want to go to Chick-fil-A today? Fine, let's go to Chick-fil-A. We're not even going to fight that battle. Let's go. And so it gets to a point in life where you're like, it doesn't matter who did what last you're, it's just, you're going to go get, take care of whatever the issue is. It's a very humbling experience to be a caregiver or a parent where you have to take care of somebody. And so as Jesus continues on in this parable here, he said to the one who invited him, he said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know, we're starting off, some of y'all may not know, but this is the first uh, Sunday, first sermon in a sermon series that we're going to do this summer, and it's called Say What? A Look at Difficult Passages. And this Sunday's theme is the Bible, and why is it important? 
And so Andy's on vacation, which is why y'all get me all morning long. And he said, you can pick any passage in the Bible that, that makes the Bible real important to you. And I said, okay, I know exactly which passage I'm going to pick. And it's the one that I'm reading from on Luke right here. And throughout the summer, we're going to look at more difficult topics uh, each Sunday throughout the summer. But I picked this one largely because of this last part here, too. Not just for the whole humility thing, but also this thing of going the extra mile when you invite someone or when you interact with someone as a Christian. You see here, he didn't necessarily um, rebuke the Pharisee that invited Jesus and apparently some other prominent people. He just said this to the leader of the Pharisees. He said, hey, guess what? Next time you, you throw a banquet, next time you invite people, why don't you invite these types of people that normally don't get invited? The people outside of our walls that cannot repay you like us at this table can repay, repay you. So he's giving a good suggestion, but also a suggestion to us as well. Because, like I said, being humble, being a parent makes you very humble, but also being a parent of a special needs child makes you very humble as well. And I don't like to talk too much about personal things from the pulpit, but since Andy said this is your choice because this is why it's important to you and why the Bible is important to you and we deal with difficult passages, is because people in the special needs community, even though the community may be well-intentioned, a lot of times they also still feel left out. They just do. And it's not because of ill intent of the world or the church or the community. It's just a matter of the fact. Because people sometimes don't know how to invite people with disabilities into their circle. And there are some people who won't invite them into their circle because what can they repay them with? You know, what can they offer this world's material things? Not much. But that shouldn't be the purpose. And see, when I read this scripture passage, and when I see here that Jesus calls us to not just invite those that can repay you, but to invite those that cannot repay you, that they are equal worth as everybody else, and they deserve our love and our attention, it makes me so glad that this is our God. That means that he calls on people to invite my son to the table who may not be able to repay them anything, but because my son is just as equal worth as everyone else. And that is why this passage speaks so much to me, and that it shows the large amount of love and grace that God has for his people and that his people as Christians, we are his representatives. And so we are called not to just invite those to our table that can benefit us, but those that also that cannot repay us. And so that's what makes me so proud to be a Christian and makes me eager to wrestle with difficult scripture passages because I know our Lord's intent and heart and it's full of grace and full of mercy And a lot of times this world lacks a lot of that. And so we have the challenge to be that in this world, to show the groups in the world that the world says, you're wrong, you're weird, you're ugly, and we don't want you at our table. Our job is to say, guess what? Have this spot right next to me at my table because my God loves me and I love you. And so this is why it's so extremely important to me and gives me hope that God has people like us who are serving in this world. So going forward, as Christians, and difficult passages in the Bible, and with this passage here, what do we learn? I've pretty much said it. You know, sometimes in life, it does matter who you know, and it may be the ones that the world 
doesn't give a lot of clout to because God wants you to know the other people, the forgotten and the unloved. And so we are to go out and to serve everybody regardless of their status. We are called to go out to love everybody and to be kind to everybody. And when we do, we go and do it and we give them and go that extra mile. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for being a God that wants to be in our lives. A God that loves us all despite our flaws. A God that believes in us to serve and believes in us to bring others to the table. So Lord, may we find the way to share that grace and love to each and every person on this earth, regardless of who they are. So may you send your Holy Spirit to guide us and to protect us as we go out and go and give that extra mile. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.